You're listening to How To Catholic, episode 21, How To Holy Week. Make it count. to the podcast. Lisa Cotter here with my husband, Kevin, and we're pretty excited over here at the Cotter House because Lent is winding down. It's beginning to look a lot like Holy Week. Yes, it's beginning (laughs) to look a lot like Holy Week over here. Um, Two weeks until Easter, pretty much. Yep. Less than, because it's Monday. Um, And I'm pretty excited about this because Holy Week is a pretty cool week, and Uh, we're going to be diving into looking at what exactly is going on during this week. Yeah, it's interesting because Holy Week is one of those weeks that I think at certain times in my life hasn't been a really big deal. But then later in my life, as I understood more and more, Holy Week became, oh my gosh, this is a really significant week. This is the most significant week of the entire year. How do I live this differently? And as you kind of start to dive into Holy Week and understand it more, you realize there's so much tradition and meaning and richness behind it. That's really amazing. I don't know, what was your experience uh, with Holy Holy Week growing up? We didn't do anything during Holy Week. <laughs> we just went to Easter. Like, I knew Lent was almost over, but in terms of, I mean, we were at Palm Sunday, which is yep. Sunday. But other than that, we didn't come back to church again until Easter, until college, I remember, was the first time I really went to all the Holy Week services. And I remember it was my freshman year and I don't know, it was a weird thing. All of a sudden my whole family, we went to everything together Hmm. and we'd never gone to anything before then. Yeah. So it was kind of odd. And I remember thinking, how did I not know these services happened? (laughs) Like, sure. I didn't even know they existed. Did you know they existed as a kid? Yeah. I'm, I don't have the best memory always of my childhood. (laughs) So I think I, you know, I'm sure I was at some of them. Uh, but yeah, as you go along in life, just, I think the meaning is so important. As we understand these events, all of a sudden you're like, oh, I'm so glad I'm here for two hours, which at other points in time when you don't understand, you'd think, why am I here for two hours? So that's kind of how we want to start off uh, with looking at Holy Week. We're going to look at five key dates. You like lists, Lisa. So we're going to look at Yeah, we have to five. figure out how to number this. Yeah. So we're going to get the five dates and really try to explore the understanding behind each day so that we get a little bit more zeal, get a little bit more excited about why we're living these things out. And we're also going to give some practical reasons behind each one for some ways we can interact with these days. We can live them out liturgically. And uh, a lot of times I'll be handing that over to Lisa. She's our liturgical expert in the house. So should we uh, start with Palm Sunday? Yes. Awesome. So that's really the start of Holy Week is, is Palm Sunday. If you remember, it's that Sunday where... Uh, all of a sudden, you get this incredibly long gospel reading at the very beginning. I dreaded that as a kid. You're like, oh, oh my gosh, it's Palm. It's like, oh, n- oh yeah. no, even, you know? Like, it was kind of cool that you got to participate, and you, you know, it was like a play. Like, yeah. you had a line, but it was always the mean lines, you know? <laughs> like, who wants to yell, crucify him? I went to church, and I had to be mean. I know. And so, yeah, it was cool, but not cool at the same time. So, when we look at Palm Sunday, 
um, we're seeing Jesus come into Jerusalem. We have, uh, you know, they had palms. We kind of reenact that with us having palms. And at first you're like, oh, Jesus comes in Jerusalem. But in reality, if we look at the Old Testament meaning of this, uh, of this scripture is in the Old Testament, kings came into Jerusalem and the people actually had palms and they laid down their clothes and their, their palms and actually proclaimed one of the Jewish kings as king in that moment. So when Jesus is coming to Jerusalem, people aren't just like excited or, or happy. Fangirling? Yeah, fangirling Jesus because that was the thing. Yeah, they just didn't call it that. But it was the people actually rising up and saying, Jesus is our king. They're making this huge statement at the time where they had a king uh, in Israel. They had an emperor in Rome. And they're saying, you know what? Forget those people. Jesus is really our ruler. He's our true king. And so they're making a very, um, really revolutionary statement at the time. But they believe in Jesus so much. Many of them have seen his miracles. They're in Jerusalem for uh, Passover week. And so a lot of people from Galilee and from all parts who have seen Jesus at different times in his ministry are there willing to rise up and willing to claim him as king. And so we get to really, in that Palm Sunday, live out that rejoicing as Jesus is as king, but also we become that crowd who cru- is willing to crucify him and betray him as well. Go through all the all the emotions in Palm Sunday. <laughs> all the emotions, that's right. We love you, we hate you. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the powerful thing. Like you really reenact the scene. Like you get you get to realize that as Christians we do both of those things. Sometimes we love the Lord and proclaim it as king and other times we absolutely betray him. It's a yeah, it's a really powerful liturgy. Yeah. And I do I always remember that one as a kid, but partially because we got palms and so when I got bored of the play, I, I was that kid who crafted with my palms and made crowns of thorns and made crosses and you know tried to hit my sister with my palm because it was a long reach so that was cool so or you put it in somebody's ear you did that to me like last year not even as a kid in the car (laughs) (laughs) during mass what's in my ear lisa stop it with the palm I know my my inner child comes out on Palm Sunday. It do, and everybody knows how to make that cross. Everybody but me. I can never put the cross <laughs> together. But like everyone at the end, you're like, it's like origami class. Everybody comes out with like a, a cute craft that they made for Palm Sunday. Totally, yeah. So um, yeah. So in our churches, it, I I love the fact that we reenact it. And I don't remember ever as a kid doing processions either. Hmm. But I feel like here in Denver, where we are, we always do a procession. Maybe my parents strategically avoided the procession mass. That could be the case. I can't say. That could be the case. <laughs> but if you're really cool, not only do you do your procession outside walking around, you also have a donkey. Donkey. Yeah. I've never seen this, but I've heard of it. I, do you think the priest rides the donkey? Um, I don't know. Or do they just have the donkey? They might just have Anytime the you pull out animals at some type of liturgy, you're doing it right. Right? That's pretty cool. Yeah. To have a donkey. So how do we celebrate this in the home? So obviously we know what we're doing at church. We've experienced this before, but there are some great things you can do in your domestic church, in your home. And I'm going to be talking a little bit from the family perspective, but even if you don't have young kids, you can still enter into this week in your home in a more real way with some of these things. They're not all like making kids crafts or yeah in fact i I don't think any of them are anybody can take a palm and put it in somebody else's ear (laughs) (laughs) that is not literally okay that's you're right all right tell us the real but you can take your palms home and place them with your crucifix 
as a reminder of what's going on. So this is also a great time if you um, if you haven't done it yet, which we I, I feel funny saying that even because not many people do this, but it's a great tradition. Um, it's a great day to shroud around your home. So shrouding means you're taking purple cloth and you're covering any images that you have of Jesus, whether that be on the cross or, or an icon or whatever it is. Um, and you're covering it with purple cross in until Easter as a reminder that Jesus is going through his passion. And traditionally parishes, churches used to shroud at the start of Passion Tide, which was actually the Sunday before Palm Sunday. That used to be the time that they would do the first reading of the passion so you'd read it three weeks in a row traditionally now we do it the first time on palm sunday so that's why i think the first time you read the passion is a great time to shroud if you don't shroud then you can shroud like most churches do which is going to be on good friday before the good friday services you'll notice when you go into the church that everything's covered with purple cloth so that's a really cool easy reminder for yourself that you can do you can shroud the images around your home all you have to do is go to a fabric store and buy purple fabric joannes.com yep it doesn't have to be backslash shrouding <laughs> yeah. it's not a real website there's no like specific you know um i don't know what the word is like uh, it has to be this kind of special shank sanctioned cloth or anything just purple cloth but I, I love that imagery because um when you have pictures of jesus in your home you're just constantly reminded of the period that you're in that jesus is betrayed that he's going through his suffering that he's buried all throughout particularly when you start, I know we are talking earlier with Palm Sunday, all through that, that week or from Holy Thursday on, you just get that imagery. And it kind of reminds me um, on a very separate place. Uh, you've done this when, when friends are uh, pregnant and then they go into labor. Mm-hmm. Everyone lights a candle and is praying for that person. You kind of get that reminder of what mm-hmm. that person is going through. Mm-hmm. And it really brings to mind... Uh, yeah, how you should be thinking and what you should be feeling and, and just that attitude. And I think the shrouding does that same thing in a really mm-hmm. powerful way. And so that's, yeah, that's one of those insights that I know when you start doing that in the home, I was really, wow, this is a powerful reminder all throughout those days of what Jesus is going through. And I want to, as a disciple of him, really live those things out. Yeah, I think it's a great way just to set the week apart and to kind of set the tone. Because uh, this week should look different. It really should look different than any other week of the year. So we want to start out right on Palm Sunday with putting some reminders around the home. Cool. So that's Palm Sunday. Uh, it's not one of our big five days, but there's also, well, Palm Sunday is, but Spy Wednesday is not one of our big oh, yeah. five days. That's the one that kind of comes next. And Spy Wednesday is all about uh, when Jesus, Judas uh, sells Jesus for 30 pieces of f- silver. So he's that spy. And, uh, kind of get that on Wednesday and kind of get prepped for these last big days of Holy Week. And that transitions us to Holy Thursday. Some people call it Monday Thursday. Have you ever heard it called Monday Thursday? Yes, I have. Or Maudet. I don't know how to pronounce yeah, it. Yeah, I just remember in college, there's this really obnoxious girl in one of my classes, <laughs> and she's like, I have to go home because I'm on Monday Thursday. I was like, what is Monday, Thursday? Like, it's Holy Thursday. Thank you very much. Um, so I don't know if it's a non-Catholic thing, like a non-Catholic Christian thing, or maybe Catholics do it too. I think it's a Catholic term. Yeah, it's, it's kind of like she was like Lu- She was like Lutheran or something. But um, anyways, I prefer Holy Thursday is the point I'm trying to make. But Holy Thursday is a celebration of the Last Supper. And of course, the Last Supper is a, um, a retelling or a reliving out of the Passover. So... Of course, this takes us back to Egypt, 
The Israelites were enslaved under Pharaoh. Uh, we have all the ten plagues. And the final plague is that the firstborn son of the Egyptians would die. Actually, any firstborn son would die unless, uh, particularly the Jews, put the blood of the lamb over their doorposts. And they had to slaughter a lamb at a certain age and eat of that lamb and make unleavened bread. And then, of course, after that, the firstborn Egyptians die and they have actual release um, out of Egypt and out of slavery as well. And so Jesus, on Holy Thursday, is living out this Passover meal and he transforms this Passover meal into uh, what we know as the Last Supper, into the Eucharist as well. And so uh, it's a great reminder of just the gift that the Eucharist is to us, that Jesus is willing, uh, to, and a reminder of, of Jesus' death, his willingness to give his entire self to us, to become that Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And um, yeah, just such a great reminder of the power of the Eucharist and what a, what a gift we have as Catholics as well. Yeah, and Holy Thursday is really kind of the, that evening is kind of the start of the Triduum, I, I believe. It starts with mm-hmm. the uh, with this service, uh, because traditionally um, in the Sabbath, the Jewish Sabbath is sundown to sundown, so we kind of start with the sun sun going down here and enter into the beginning of these these three holy days, um, which are Friday, Saturday, Sunday, but it kind of it starts with this Thursday evening here because of the vigil of it. And so at this point, it's kind of Holy Thursdays when we as a family really try to kind of start to quiet and hunker down and Mm -hmm. make the house a little more quiet and really set the mood. I mean, we've been thinking about it all week as it's, you know, the home is kind of getting prepared for this. And then this is when we really kind of turn it on. Uh, So in order... And going off that, usually Holy Thursday service uh, after mass, everyone is silent, right? So kind of... I think coming out of that liturgy kind of sets that tone for, all right, we're we're in the thick of it of the Triduum and we're in a different state of mind after we see Jesus betrayed after the Passover meal. Mm-hmm. So it's at this time that we kind of start to pull out some of the, the quiet things that we can do during this time because we try to turn off the TV, turn off the music, kind of unplug during these days here. So we have like a Last Supper puzzle that we pull out that's something quiet that we can do together. Um there's a company called Illuminated Inc. that has a 3D triduum model that the kids can make where you literally cut out. See that? There's a craft. I said I wouldn't do crafts, but this is no, a cool craft. No, you said you do a little crafts. A okay. Few. So it's it's really cool. It's this 3D model, and you turn it, and each of the sides has a different day um, of what's going on, which is pretty cool. So the kids made that last year, so we'll pull that out and kind of play with that again. For dinner on this night, we always make unleavened bread in our house and have it for dinner with grape juice. And of course, we explain to the kids that we're not trying to reenact the Last Supper at our house, but it's just a fun reminder of how does unleavened bread work? And this is similar to what we have at church, although not the same at all. Um, But just a great little reminder and a way to kind of incorporate it into the home as we enter into the Triduum. Um... Also at the Holy Thursday service is the washing of the feet. How could we forget? Um, I know. And I always love seeing how different parishes do this because everybody kind of has their own take. Um, Sometimes you'll see them up on the altar. Sometimes everybody's feet will get washed. Sometimes, um, I don't know what the Who knows what could happen? (laughs) Who knows what's going to happen? So one thing you can do is, this would be a cool night. You can, in your own home, wash each other's feet. It doesn't have to be something that's, 
straight out of a liturgical book or anything, but just uh, just something simple that you can do uh, that night as a way to honor each other is you could wash each other's feet. Nice. So that is Holy Thursday and then moves us on to Good Friday. And uh, I think a great meditation for Good Friday and for all of Holy Week, coming off Palm Sunday, we were talking about a little bit earlier is which kind of disciple are we going to be? Are we going to be the one who betrays Jesus or are we going to be the one who's faithful to him? And I think Good Friday, as we think about that day, we think about Jesus taking upon his cross, Jesus making that sacrifice uh, for our sins, all the way to his death. We can think of those disciples, uh, the Marys who were with him and John the disciple who were with him as well, who were faithful to the end. They were there with him the entire time. They were with him in his suffering, and they didn't turn away, uh, but instead they really uh, were present. And so I think that's a lot about what this day is is about, is being present and reliving that moment and trying to be those disciples who were, were faithful to him. This is a great day to completely take off from work. Yeah. And and we're blessed being in focus because we get that day off and our kids are now Catholic school, so they already get that day off. So it's it's nice because we don't have to work for it. But I I'll never forget when what, we was that a pun? No. <laughs> Sorry. When we uh were at a parish, a previous parish, the one we're at now, I remember the priest always made it a point on on uh, Palm Sunday to say pull your kids from school, don't go to work on Good Friday and really challenge them to do that. And it's something that's kind of radical to the culture, but he was saying there's no greater or more like, um, I don't, I don't know if greater is right, but it's, it's one of the most holy days in our church, one of the most significant days and take a stand, take a stand for something and pull your kids from school. Don't go to work, take a personal day that day. If there's one day out of the year where you should really be focused in meditating on Christ's passion, this is the day. So I thought that was just amazing. So that's a challenge. It's it's not our how-to challenge, but that's a challenge yeah. that we definitely want to put forth to you is can you take that day off and allow it to be a day that's holy? Um, this day um, is a great day to do some things in the home. Um, one thing we do in the morning is we have hot cross buns, which I always make on Holy Thursday. We don't frost them, though, and this is for the kids. Um, and then we save them whatever we don't eat. And on Easter, then we frost them and have them with Easter brunch. So the kids always look forward to their hot cross buns. Um, it's a day that we stay unplugged. So we're working on those quiet things like the puzzle or some kind of retreat to a model or something. It's also a great day to do the stations, which are obviously available at your church that day. There's a couple services going on. One being the stations, um, not really services, but events, I should say. Um, yeah, the stations, um, do it at home, do it at your church. And then there's also the Good Friday service, which is not a mass. And I think, is that the only day out of the year where it's not a mass? I think so. I think so. There's a communion service tied with it. And we do the veneration of the cross. Again, as we've moved, I always love seeing what different parishes do. So I've seen one parish where they would pass the cross around over like like the cross was like crowd surfing, basically. Yeah, it was yeah. a crowd surfing cross because it was more efficient that yes. way and it was such a massive church it was a huge church so it was almost necessary is kind of the way they saw it um or you can go up and kiss the cross venerate the cross so if anybody else has any crowd surfing um cross surfing churches i'm curious to see if that was special to that parish or if that's something somebody else does um so that's that's a neat service um obviously we read the passion again um for the second time and get to do another play so 
you know, that's cool. We had one parish we went to where it was really like a full on production. Do you remember that? Uh, it was like a Broadway show. Like, oh yeah. Because oh, the pastor was like an actor. <laughs> yeah. Very into theater. And so, and it was, it was beautiful. It was very moving. It yep. just was like, wow, I've never seen anything like that before. Again, sometimes you just don't know. Mm-hmm. When you're at a different church, you're like, what are they going to do here? And they would like sing a chorus between every, I don't know, like three or four minutes. Do you remember that? Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. It's crazy. It was. It gets a little crazy on these days here. See, this is why you don't want to miss them. You don't know what you're missing until if you haven't been. Uh, last thing on Good Friday of note that is good to do is the Divine Mercy Novena begins on that day, which um, ends then on Divine Mercy Sunday, which is the Sunday after Easter. So another beautiful thing to be meditating on during this time of the Passion. It's so smart. What a beautiful thing that John Paul II gave to us. Many things that he gave to us, but just this great meditation to have the Divine Mercy Chaplet uh, Novena go from Good Friday, Jesus' death, but per, which provides that mercy to nine days later to, you know, really um, Easter week, that Sunday that becomes Divine Mercy Sunday. What a cool link. Uh, it's really, really awesome to see God's mercy, his death, but also his resurrection that gives us life. So, mm-hmm. so very cool. So Good Friday, this takes us to Holy Saturday. Oh, the other thing I wanted to say about Good Friday is uh, that's the best day to be a little bit uncomfortable. Like I think... Oh, we're fasting on that day. How do we fail to mention yeah, that? Yeah, that's what I... Yeah, I mean, fasting from screens, fasting from food, and fasting from even a lot of conversation, and no matter what your state of life, is just to feel uncomfortable because you want to journey with Jesus, who is obviously very uncomfortable that day. So you want to get to a point and go, boy, I'm really bored, or I'm really hungry, or I wish this day would end. That's great. That's a great place to be. I always have that moment. <laughs> It's like, can we just go to bed? I know it's six o'clock, but I just want to get this day over with. <laughs> it's four twenty-one. Can I go to bed now? No, you do. You're especially when you're so hungry, you want to go to bed early, and you're just like, I want to get this day over. Like, it needs to get to that point. Like, we should feel some suffering uh, in our lives. So anyways, just want to mention that about Good Friday. Mm-hmm. Holy Saturday is a bit more straightforward. It's when Jesus is in the tomb. It's a day of waiting and preparing. So. Uh, we get a little bit um, off the fasting, although it's not full-blown blown feasting by any means. Sometimes we keep a fast throughout Holy Saturday as we wait. But yeah, it is really about waiting, preparing uh, for Jesus' resurrection as, as he was waiting as well. And uh, yeah, at least you have a lot of great things here for things you can do. Yeah, so there's no service today. So there's another day where there's no Mass. <laughs> we just asked that question. I forgot. Um yeah, so Good Friday, no Mass, but there is um, a communion service. But Holy Saturday, there's, there's not even a communion service. There's just This is the only day of the year, I believe, where there's just nothing mm-hmm. going on at the church. Outside of some churches will do a food blessing, mm. so you can bring up your Easter breads. Uh, we've done that before, um, spent kind of the morning preparing, um, bring up the hot cross buns, or if I'm making cinnamon rolls or something for Easter, that's a day you can bring up your wine or your food to get blessed. And then a lot of churches do egg hunts on this day, which I have mixed feelings about. It's your favorite. About. What do you mean, mixed feelings? It's your absolute <laughs> favorite day of the year and activity you could do on that year. It is, especially you, when Lisa, the Easter Bunny have, shows up. Why do you have mixed feelings about Easter egg hunts on Holy Saturday? Well, it's supposed to be a day of waiting. Mm-hmm. It's supposed to be a day where you're contemplating the fact that Jesus is gone and you mm-hmm. don't know 
I mean, you do, but you're trying to enter into what would it be like yeah. to live this, uh, you know, and, and it's the first time and to be one of those disciples or apostles sitting there waiting and going, what next? What's going to happen next? And so if we're up at church, like finding eggs and taking pictures with the Easter bunny and eating chocolate, it just feels a little not fitting to me. Yeah. And I get like, there's, it's hard to fit everything in as a church because you're like, well, Easter Sunday and we want to like do something as a community, but just, you're right. It just doesn't, doesn't feel right. And I mean, I don't know how many Catholic churches do it. We feel like a lot of our evangelical friends, they're always like, Easter egg hunt on Saturday. And we're like still hungry and we're like, <laughs> it's not Easter yet, you know? And so you don't want to like raise your fist. Like, you know, cause for, for a lot of them, it's like Easter weekend, you know, this is a fun, they're trying to celebrate yeah. Jesus, but it's just a totally different than, yeah, that sense of continuing story and us living out the story, I think is a very mm-hmm. Catholic concept. And I think we just have it a little bit more intuitive of, hey, no, seriously, he's still in the tomb right now. Like, we don't eat candy during that time. Like, you're crazy. Yeah. Well, and if they don't do Lent, which some Protestant churches oh, do. Oh, sure. But if you don't do Lent, it really is just kind of a, another weekend. But it just happens to be the weekend when we read the gospel about Jesus' resurrection. Yeah. It's the one time where we all agree on the gospel to read. Yeah. <laughs> so it's just kind of interesting. Um, yep. So the best way I've ever seen it done is... It, one of the parishes we've been to see this is this is the beauty of having moved so many times having so many parishes we have a vast you know a wide mm-hmm. array of ex- liturgical experiences yes so they did the egg hunt but the priest really really put forth that we were searching the kids were searching for the empty tomb they were searching for that you know the egg was the tomb representing the tomb and the kids were looking for it so we we took our kids and they hunted and we let them go find the tomb of Jesus and put it in their basket but we were those mean parents who were like but you can't eat the candy till tomorrow yep hey teaching yeah. our kids willpower it's a beautiful thing yeah and they were like 3 and 5 but I, it was i don't know other kids are sitting there eating their fifth piece of candy and our kids are like we can't have any <laughs> <laughs> like you can have it all tomorrow <laughs> So I think it's a good lesson, though. I, I think it helps them understand that something different is going on here. Even if they can't comprehend what that different is, yeah. I think it just puts us in that right mind frame. And I want you to talk, you're going to get to it, but Pasanki. Yes. One more thing before that. Oh, okay. Sorry. I'm get excited about Pasanki. I know. And we're probably pronouncing it wrong. There are probably Eastern people who, Eastern right people. Who judge are, us. Judge, judge us away. Judge away. We don't know how to pronounce it. The Paschal candle, that's one more thing that we like to do on Holy Saturday is make a Paschal candle for our family, which you can get a kit. I'll put that in the show notes. Um, you can actually buy the kit or you can just go to the store and buy a glass votive candle, a tall one, and glue some jewels around it and use a permanent marker to write on. So it's uh, just a simple thing to have during Easter season. Just like our church that night is going to light the Paschal candle, the Easter candle at the vigil. We prepare ours so we can light ours with our Easter brunch or lunch or whatever we're doing that day, as well as throughout Easter season. And then we do light it occasionally throughout the year as well. If there's a special feast day or if somebody's sick and I want to remember to pray for them, it's a good candle to go to and light. So that's another cool thing you can do uh, to have for Easter season. Now we can talk about Pasanki. Or Pasanki. Pasanki or Sanki. I don't know. You say Pasanki, I say Pasanki. I know. We Let's call the whole thing off. I've looked it up before too, and I just probably should look it's it like up again. It's like one of those again. Google-like voice, and they're like, Pasanki. Yeah, except for then Pasanki. the next one says Pasanki, so you don't know. Well, anyways. 
It's Ukrainian Easter eggs. Yeah. And this is a tradition that we've done is we do dye Easter eggs on Holy Saturday in the afternoon. But we take four hours to dye one egg. Yes. And we take, yeah, and we invite friends over too. So in the past, we've had um, somebody who's Jewish over to dye Easter eggs with us. Agnostic Jew came over. It was fantastic. Mm -hmm. Nominal Christians. Yep. Just kind of non-denominational or maybe they had, I don't really know. We just invite a variety of people over to our house that day just to kind of welcome them into Holy Week with us and um, just give a little experience of why this week is important to us. And it's always been a really fun tradition and a really enjoyed tradition by all of us. So basically what you do is you have an egg and you blow out the egg so it's hollow. Yeah, quick note here. This is not like your normal Easter eggs for four hours. Lisa isn't just like slowly turning Easter eggs and and whatever dye that's called. I want it dyed really blue. Yeah, this is this is like a an experience like no other. So yeah, you're you're blowing the yolk of an egg out of the egg. So it's hollow. Which you don't have to do that, but that's what we do. Yeah, because it It'll last, quote unquote, like forever if mm-hmm. you do that, right? Because it won't mm-hmm. de- biodegrade because the yolk doesn't decompose it. Oh, I didn't know that. I thought eventually they just dried out. Like, it, I don't know. Well, I think that's what, I mean, if you, you just left the yolk in it, I think eventually it'd break through the shell or something. I don't know. But, okay, so it involves you poking a hole in an egg and then you using a tool to blow out the inside yolk. I just, it's a fun picture to watch, mm-hmm. think about that. How do you get yolk out of an egg? Without breaking the egg. Yeah. It's, that's alone a huge, yeah, it's cr- pretty crazy. I'm so glad you're excited about this. I love, I love this. I just want people to understand what's going on here. So you've got your hollow egg and you seal up the hole with some wax and then you choose a design. And if you've probably seen these eggs. You just maybe might not know what yep. exactly where they came from. They're kind of like a Fabergé egg, but not quite, um, just in terms of its intricacy. Mm-hmm. And you kind of sketch out what you're going to do on your egg. And there's a lot of traditional um, patterns. Yeah, patterns and symbols. So you see on these eggs the symbol of wheat for Jesus, the bread of life. You'll see uh, the deer um, with a stream um, as a deer longs for running water. Running water. So my soul longs for you. Thank you. I'm the, I'm, I'm the scripture expert in the house. Um, and <laughs> the you, you mean. The you is not. You, Lisa, it's Jesus. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Just making sure. Um, there are, you know, symbols of kingship, colors that are, you know, representing royalty. There's there's just a lot of tradition that goes around what's put on an egg. And how you do this is you put wax. You have this, it's called a kitska or a kitski or something. Again, don't know how yeah. to pronounce it. We're not Ukrainian over here. Nope. You have this wax tool and... Uh, you scoop the, you heat it up over fire, this metal thing, and then you scoop the wax out and then you draw with it. So the wax comes through like this little funnel thing and you draw on your egg and what you draw on then is going to be permanently white and then you dye it yellow typically. And then once it's dyed yellow, then you draw on it again and whatever you, whatever you put with wax is going to be permanently yellow and so on. So the colors get darker as you go until you probably have three, four five colors on it and your egg is covered heavily with wax and then you take your egg and you put it next to a fire and like a candle and you melt off the wax and you kind of rub it with like a paper towel or something to get all the wax off and when you're done you have this amazing egg that's very intricate very bright very colorful because you get special dye I have to order it from online every 
every two years. The dye works for two years. And and you've done all this. It's taken like four hours and you get one egg out of it. <laughs> but it, I mean, again, the, the whole idea of the day is that we're waiting. And so it's so great to be able to just work on something quietly. So mm-hmm. you're not just it's sitting there. kind of meditative there. as you're doing Yeah, it. you're meditative. You're thinking, how was my Lent? It's almost Easter. I'm excited. It's great to be around friends so you can have some conversations as well. And so, yeah, you're working on this thing for a long time, which is a little bit like Lent, right? It's very symbolic. Like mm-hmm. you're working on your life for a long time and then you get to see the result at the end. And uh, it's so funny because we've had friends and you start to explain this process to your friends who have never, or whoever you invite over. <laughs> and they're always like, you're crazy. Like they give you this look like, why did we come? Yeah. And it's really like, it hurts your brain the first time you do it. It still hurts my brain every time you do it, like the wax and how the colors work. And then it's almost like reverse to me. It's just very not intuitive. But yeah, well then, even if you think your egg's terrible, all of a sudden you burn off this wax and it is like the coolest result at the end. So um, yeah, highly recommend Yes, so we'll put show notes because I've got some stuff on from our family blog on there. That'd be great. We'll put that in the show notes. It's pretty exciting. So there it is. Holy, holy Saturday. Um, And of course, Holy Saturday then ends with culmination. Easter Sunday, but that's not this podcast. No, we're not going to talk about Easter Sunday. But um, this is the time when you, if kind of ending the Triduum traditionally would end with the Easter Vigil. And if you don't make it to Vigil, then you go to Mass the next Sunday. Um, but another beautiful, beautiful ceremony, and we're going to talk about that a little more in our next podcast, which is how to Easter. Which, Easter's not just one day, folks. No. Spoiler alert. It's more than one day, so we'll, we'll cover out how to how to celebrate Easter. Yes, so yeah, stay tuned. So Lisa, what's our how-to challenge here for Holy Week? How-to challenge is to go to a Triduum service that you've never been to before. Okay. Yes. What if you've already been to every single Triduum service and it's like, are you done? I think unless if you're a seminarian, you haven't been to all of the Triduum services for most people. Because there's more than just Holy Thursday, Good Friday services, um, or even Vigil, if you want to count that. Yeah. If you've never been to Vigil, we'll let you put that in there as an option. Oh, yeah. But there's other things like Tenembre. Yeah. Which I have never done, but you've done. I was pregnant when you did it. Yeah, Tenebrae is really cool. They did it at the seminary here in Denver, and you wake up really early uh, during the Triduum, and it's a part of the Divine Office, and you can do it different ways, but it's uh, Tenebrae is Latin for shadows, and so it's this whole experience through the Psalms about Jesus' death, and uh, yeah, really cool experience. Again, you can do it lots of different ways, but the seminary, you'd wake up really early, you get there at like 5.30 before uh, the sunrise, and uh, yeah, they just did a fantastic job, so it's a Check out a Tenebrae if you think uh, you've been to all the Triduum services. And if you've been to tr- Tenebrae and you're like, what else can I do? Well, you just get... You get, you get five gold stars. Five gold stars. Congratulations. Yeah. You're you win. the winner. You don't have to do the challenge this week. Awesome. There we go. Well, Lisa, that was another really fun podcast. The time always flies. And uh, just wishing uh, for all of our listeners to have a fantastic, fantastic Holy Week. We hope that you're blessed, that it's prayerful. And uh, ultimately, you become more like Jesus. And uh, we'll see you next time on the podcast. Hey, thanks for listening to the podcast today. We are so honored that you've given us your time. Show notes for this episode can be found at madetomagnify.com. And you can connect with me on Twitter at Kevin R. Cotter and Lisa on Twitter and Instagram at Lisa 
Ann Cotter. That's Ann with no E. We'd love to hear from you there with any questions, comments, or suggestions for topics or guests. And would you do us a quick favor? If you've enjoyed today's episode, would you head on over to iTunes and rate the show for us? This helps us get the podcast out there to those who are looking for a show just like this. Until next time, be saints. It's worth it. Oh,